folk to the find the path ventures actual play of the war for the crown side story part five as you may be able to tell from that ooh you just heard uh, (laughs) i'm joined today by my esteemed player rachel sandwich hello (laughs) it's weird being by myself (laughs) that's pretty much been everyone's response up until this point but i think everyone else has had a really good time with it and uh i should hope we're comfortable enough uh talking to each other being in a room by ourselves i mean we've been doing it for a little over 10 years now, I should hope sure. so. <laughs> yeah, so welcome back, everyone. Um, of course, all of you are well aware of what we're doing by this point, since we have been doing that for a month at this point. Uh, however, this is, of course, uh, Rachel's first involvement with the uh, the Sovereign Court side story, jumping into this uh, completely blind, unaware of what anyone else has really done. Yep, I've been in the dark. <laughs> yeah, so again, this is our uh, our side story as we're exploring these uh, these other group of heroes. But yeah, I suppose I'll go ahead and launch into things, get the ball rolling as we are steadily making our approach. This is the uh, the last before the finale for this side story. So uh, I can imagine uh, everyone has enjoyed. It has been a topsy-turvy ride up until this point, and we'll oh. see if that continues going uh, into this episode. Okay. So again, I'll start the way that I've started for all of them, providing a little bit of backstory, a little bit of, uh, of an idea at the very least for Rachel what's going on all right. uh, before we jump into the story <laughs> as it is uh, developing. I will take notes. You should take notes. In fact, I even have a note in here for you to take notes that I was going to get to at the end of this. Yes, (laughs) I I don't have to worry about that was mostly for Jordan. (laughs) So let's take a step back in time to set the stage for our story. In 4692, during the drought known as the Summer Without Rain, eight noble families were called to the Palace of Birdsong to meet with the Grand Prince Stavian III, while the heads of House Corsina, Darahan, Dinzarni, Falspar, Heskalar, Kastner, Mariset, and Zespire treated with the Grand Prince. The young scions of these houses entertained the heirs of the royal family. The five teenage lords and ladies spent their days with the young Princess Eutropia and her schoolmate Martella Lothete. The five younger children, however, bonded with Prince Carius II, heir apparent to the Primogen crown. The children enjoyed their magical summer together and then went their separate ways. Now, the audience is, of course, quite familiar with uh, what has been happening with the friends of Princess Eutropia. However, the friends of Prince Carius were devastated when they learned of his death during a riding accident just six years later. The five nobles traveled to Opara and were reunited in mourning their lost childhood friend and future ruler. They reconnected that day, swearing to see Prince Carius's dream for a greater Taldor realized. It was that night that they met a young lady, Gloriana Marilla, scion of a lesser house with grand ideas of nobility united for a common cause. Together, these six nobles set out to improve not just Taldor, but all of the inner sea under the auspices of the Sovereign Court. Our story begins in 4708. Ten years after the death of Prince Carius II, and ten years before the events that will kick off the War for the Crown. Though Gloriana Marilla has begun to work with the Pathfinder Society in Absalom, she is still years away from becoming the head of the Taldor faction that works within that organization. 
or expanding her secret society of the Sovereign Court to work within the noble ranks of nations across the Inner Sea. Seeking a new ally in her fight to restore Taldor to its long-lost glory, Lady Marilla has reached out to her friends to aid her. And thus begins Honor's Echo. All right. In the aftermath of the Eventung Conquest and the embarrassing loss of Chiliax, Andorin, Isgur, and Galt, the Emperor of Taldor sought scapegoats to bear the shame of his defeat. He stripped numerous noble families of their titles and lands and condemned their failures in the campaign. Most who suffered this punishment faded into obscurity and never rose again. The Countess Anaria Alcosti was an influential commander during the campaigns before and immediately following the Eventung conquest. Yet, all her skill could not make up for the shortage of supplies, and her career came to an ignoble end. When she dared to critique the crown's strategies, the emperor sentenced her to the worst fate imaginable, life as a commoner. Her many times great-grandson, Romario Alcosti, only has incomplete references to his ancestor's heroism and title, but longs to exonerate her name and regain the noble title that he believes he deserves. If he can gather the right evidence and present it in Opara, he is certain that he will succeed. He needs Lady Marilla's help to follow his leads across Taldor and beyond, to uncover the truth and, with evidence in hand, to advocate for his ancestor's grand legacy. And so... Gloriana has called in her old friends to help restore the name of House Alcosti and hopefully gain a new ally in the process. And you, Rachel, have answered that call. Well, okay then. Basically seeing if he's worthy of his title. Perhaps. I suppose we should go ahead and just kind of uh, jump into things, as it were. Indeed. As the audience has uh, has waited, I've alluded to this uh, this story a couple of times in the other ones. Oh, okay. I think Ross was very <laughs> pleased he was not going to be here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know if that makes me feel better or worse. <laughs> better or worse or about the same. <laughs> so I suppose we should begin. Or rather, we should continue. Okay. Our story continues with Countess Josephine Hescalar. You set off along the bumpy road south from Aheto, capital of the Karis Prefecture, a week and a half ago. What followed after leaving your family's lands was nine days of monotonous, rhythmic trot of the horses and the creaking of the wooden wheels of your carriage, breaking the quiet of the early fall. The path was clear, although the looming presence of the World's Edge Mountains cast long, stretching shadows, and the cold winds off the peak served as a constant reminder that these roads would be buried in snow in just a few short months. The mountains rose vast and jagged, their white peaks gleaming against the sky. You know that they have a gift for making people feel small and insignificant. But you are, of course, a lady of House Hescalar, and the mountains are your home. <laughs> With every passing day, the crisp scent of autumn became more pronounced, although you could not see the leaves of the hardy trees that dot the Tandak Plains having shifted from their verdant green to reds and golds and oranges, you could smell the change of the seasons and hear the crunch of the leaves beneath the hooves of your horses. Last night, at the end of your ninth day in the carriage, you found yourself approaching the opulent estate of House Sinabri. Gilded gates bearing the family's crest, a bronze diving owl, 
creaked open, allowing you entry into the sprawling grounds and manor beyond. You were welcomed graciously by the members of House Sinabri, and received by Count Theon Sinabri himself, the Lord of Stormgrey Range, and vassal to your grand house. You were treated to a feast of the finest game and wine from their cellars, and given every respect the house could offer. The Count, of course, asked in a roundabout way about your reasoning for visiting his small area of Kraris. Of course, this is Kraris, and you know better than to let your guard down even amongst supposedly allied houses. Trust no one, that's basically the house motto. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As night deepened, you were led to a lavish guest room where you rested in preparation for today's activity. At dawn, having expressed your gratitude to your gracious hosts, you departed on a borrowed horse, leaving behind your carriage and men and turning your sights towards the mountains. Once again, Count Theon asked what business you had in said mountains, more directly now, but you still kept that to yourself, both out of caution and because you didn't exactly know the answer. <laughs> the morning sun was still hidden behind the massive mountains to the east, but the dim light was of course no detriment to you and the local horse that you borrowed seemed to know its roads quite well. As you continued, the air grew thin and cold as you and your horse ascended an old road into the foothills, the untouched snow of Mount Antios in the distance, its craggy peak standing sentinel over the south central Tandak Plains. As the sun finally breaks out from behind the mountains, you feel its warmth on your face, the smell of wood smoke lets you know that your destination is near at hand. And uh, Rachel, why don't we go ahead and describe this uh, this mysterious writer for me? Oh, this is always the worst part. Because <laughs> <laughs> I never feel like I describe my characters like the same way everyone else does, and I always feel like I leave something out. Josephine Sidonia Heskelar is a rather imposing figure. She, uh, if she was standing and not on her horse, would stand at about six feet tall. Uh, she has long dark hair, which is uh, braided up because if you're going to do anything active, you're going to put your hair up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she probably has it braided or tied back in some way. She is wearing full plate armor and proudly wears the crest of, of her house. And I believe the uh, the crest for House Heskalar is the uh, draconic claw holding a goblet. I believe so. However, one defining feature that she has that probably unnerves a lot of people that she meets because it is so different is that she has cloudy white eyes. Um, as an oracle, this is her curse, which she has learned to live with, but it does uh, kind of add to her intimidation factor sometimes. She definitely uses it to her advantage because she is a Heskalar. And uh, I'm very much into my dragon heritage because I'll get blind sense eventually like dragons do. Wah! Josephine, you continue your journey. The horse, again, seems to know these ways fairly well. And as you make your way forward, the dense forest surrounding Mount Antios begins to show signs of human activity. Trees here are marked with the occasional chalk X, and you hear the distant echo of axes biting into wood. The road, which has been a solitary path, now reveals cart tracks laden here and there with logs. And though you cannot see, honestly, you can't see more than 15 paces uh, with your clouded vision. You cannot see any sign of a river or stream. You can hear the distant trickling and smell the fresh mountain melt. Eventually, though, the road leads you into a clearing where a small logging community rests, laying nestled here in the foothills 
of Mount Antios in the Storm Grey Range. The settlement here is bustling. Simple wooden huts with smoke rising from their chimneys dot the landscape, while loggers, their faces streaked with sweat and grime, work diligently in the late morning light, hauling fresh-cut timber. Children play between these stacks of wood, and their laughter is a sharp contrast to the earnest work of their elders. All quiet down and bow as you approach. You quickly realize it is unlikely that they know who you are. However, you are wearing armor, carrying weapons, and riding a horse, which means that you're obviously someone of some station. And considering you're bedecked in full plate mail, which they would not see outside of attorney, yes, you are obviously someone of I'm riding by myself. I'm not about to take any chances. That's fair. As you make your way through this small community, again, you don't think that this place boasts a population of more than maybe 150, 200 souls. And as such, this is obviously not a place that is visited by travelers. There are no inns or anything like that. There is, however, a common house, a large, rough, wooden building. As you trot closer to it, just kind of following the road, you can see that outside of the building sits a log near a communal fire. And looking completely out of place is a young man. As you pull up your mount, as you dismount, the man must have either heard you or seen you coming because he quickly stands to his feet and approaches you rather openly. The man in question is uh, young. You'd say probably, well, I say young. He's probably about your age. Um, he's in his mid-20s, you think. Okay. He has average height and build, um, so substantially shorter than you at six feet since he's closer to about five foot eight or so. Uh, with auburn hair and beard, both well-kept. Although you know that this is not a true noble. He does dress the part in dark okay. red noble attire with a nearly comical thick cloak on where like the furs around his neck stick up almost like eight or nine inches to block <laughs> his peripheral vision. Uh, a man that is obviously not as used to being in the mountains. As he approaches towards you, uh, you can see that a rapier sits easily at one hip and bounces. Uh, you note probably with uh, at the very least some approval that while his clothing is definitely not generally suited, for the outdoors, uh, he did choose a very good pair of uh, boots as well as the cloak to actually keep him warm. And the rapier looks like it has seen use that is more than just for show. The man who you can only assume is Romario Alcasti, whom you were informed would meet you here, uh, approaches quickly and smiles broadly up at you. Well met, my noble lady. He bows deeply. Uh, well met, but that is unnecessary. <laughs> Uh, you and your friends are much alike, I say. Uh, my apologies. Uh, of course, you must be Countess Hesclar. Josephine, yes. Josephine. I um, I assume that you'd wish me to call you Josephine, then. Whatever works. In the mountains, you need to be able to call someone quickly. Ah, well, um, Josephine it is. I am Romario Alcosti. He bows very deeply again, sweeping out his cape. Loyal son of Taldor, and uh, hopefully soon... A loyal vassal of your esteemed family. We shall see. Uh, I suppose we shall. I'm so very glad that you could uh, uh, join me here. Um, it's, again, quite impressive, the uh, the friends that uh, that Lady Marilla has. Ah, uh, yes. Lady Marilla and I have been good friends for a long time. Of course. Oh, well, then, I suppose. Uh, would you need a chance to rest or should we uh, get on with things? I think we can get on with it. 
Of course. Um, uh, you may wish to uh, to leave your horse here. Um, I've already arranged for uh, for them to take care of mine, and I'm certain they wouldn't be uh, opposed to taking care of yours, being a lady of such an esteemed house such as you are. Um, unfortunately, the horses won't be able to uh, to avail us much, uh, according to the locals, uh, making our way into the mountains. Uh, let me at least get my pack. I do not want to be in the mountains unprepared. Ah, yes. We shouldn't be traveling too far, but uh, preparation, that's important. Um, oh, I should probably get my own pack. I don't imagine you have spent much time in the mountains. Uh, the mountains? No. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to uh, to learning more about my lands, um, but uh, uh, the mountains specifically, no. They can be treacherous, so the more preparation, the better. Oh, well, I am uh, used to a certain degree of, shall we say, uh, <laughs> danger. But I'm more used to the dangers of the uh, the streets of Opara as opposed to uh, <laughs> mountain lions. Uh, Opara is a different kind of danger. Uh, quite, quite. Um, yes, so let me take care of that. Um, please. He takes the reins from you. Once you've uh, taken your pack off, uh, leads the horse away to go be tended to before returning back to you shortly thereafter. I figure she just kind of stands stiffly and watches him do it, because, like, what else is she going to do? The man returns in short order. Should I, uh, well, I suppose uh, I should, I'll, I'll lead the way. Um, I'm not sure, well, these are, of course, your lands. I'm certain you know them better. I just didn't know if uh, um, you would have any difficulties. If you're worried about whether I can navigate, I assure you I will be fine. Of course, I, I would not question um, one of the noble house Hescalar. Um, Tis a valid question, but I assure you I can keep up. Yes, of course. Uh, forever feared, right? <laughs> For good reason. The man turns, uh, begins to lead you out of the small, again, hamlet, you suppose, might be the proper term for it. You walk for a short distance. Yeah, I was going to say, I still have no idea what we're doing, so I'm like, yeah, lead the way. Yeah. <laughs> it carries on a small amount of polite conversation until you get far enough away from the uh, the distant sound of the woodsman chopping. Um, well, then, I suppose we should talk about what we are doing here. Unfortunately, I um, I did not feel comfortable revealing any of this in a, uh, a letter. I am familiar with the uh, reputation for, shall we say, intrigue uh, that Kreris has, so did not wish to uh, to risk a letter being intercepted. Uh, we are not the most uh, trustworthy prefecture. Yeah, <laughs> um, believe me, I'm I'm certainly used to, uh, uh, shall we say, playing the game. Yes, I abhor the game, but I do know of it. Of course, of course. Um, well then, I suppose we should uh, discuss matters. As you well know from uh, Lady Marilla, likely, I am wishing to restore the name and honor of the Alcosti family, and particularly my um, great, great, too many to count, great uh, grandmother, Anaria Alcosti, was stripped of her lands, her titles for all intents and purposes, erased from history, which was a great injustice. During the Eventongue Rebellion, my ancestor, Onaria, was charged with protecting the region of Taldor at the time, simply known as Andoran. Unfortunately, she was not able to maintain Andoran's dependency upon Taldor. This was in large part due to uh, a lack of supplies provided to her. Your uh, fellow companions have thus far managed to aid me in reclaiming knowledge pertaining towards her victories in the Verdian Forest, her actions um, in service to Taldor, 
uh, the honors that she received from the Church of Aroden. Um, I even have, uh, as amazing as this sounds, considering it was almost 700 years ago, uh, two first-hand accounts of her actions. That's impressive. <sighs> yes. However, these are all just stories of her accolades, and her actual actions were erased by the Grand Prince of the time. So you need more concrete evidence. Yes, which brings us to the, uh, the difficult task that we have at hand today. After traveling and seeing the messages um, sent at the time uh, by my ancestors, uh, to family members outside of Taldor, I was able to ascertain the location of um, the Alcosti tomb. So we are to tomb rob? Um, not, not exactly. My ancestor had a, a friend and a squire, Syagra Tetranella. Lady Tetranella was a, uh, a loyal friend of Anaria, and she wrote a letter to Anaria's cousin, Janoris Acosti, who was living in Andorin in exile following the family's fall from grace. From this letter, I was able to determine the location of the Alcosti tomb. You see, my ancestor, Anaria, was Countess. Countess of Stormgrey Range. These were my family's lands. That was until, as Lady Tetranella said, until she was betrayed by Italis Sanabri. You understand now why I did not want to, uh, risk the Sanabri family learning that we were here. These lands once belonged to my family. I see. After learning the location of the family's mausoleum, and knowing that my ancestor was buried there with all the respect that she deserved, um, despite some protests from the Sanabri family uh, and other ungrateful enemies who profited from slandering her name, she was buried with all of her laurels all of her medals, all of the things that are physical representations of her years of service. These, even her detractors, couldn't strip from her. And while it pains me to uh, disturb her eternal rest, I am certain that she would understand if uh, retrieving said medals would restore the Alcosti family name. I think as long as you restore everything afterward as well, no, of course. It would be quite easy if these lands are restored back to the Alcostes, um, as they should be. But that would inherently displace the Sanabris? I believe that they were barons before, and uh, likely they would retain their barony under the Alcosti. He shuffles a little bit. My um, stewardship. I see. Of course, I have to... Uh, I have been gathering all this information because... Uh, Lady Marilla has said that she can arrange a meeting between me and the Princess Eutropia, and she would be able to restore my family's names and titles. It is possible. Um, I don't know if she has that authority. Well, fortunately, when Lady Tetranella sent the letter to my uh, too many to counts great uncle, she included the mausoleum key. And I was able to determine from the letters that there is a secret to open the mausoleum, to even make the keyhole appear. So I have the location, and I know the secret. So we should be the first people to have stepped foot inside of it in the last 700 years. A rather interesting archaeological find. Yes. I am a little concerned, and I suppose that's why uh, Lady Marilla said that she would uh, would contact you. I, of course, was 
hoping for a chance to meet uh, meet a member of the uh, the Hescalar family beforehand, since uh, um, I would imagine it would ease the passage of my family's return to power in this uh, this region. However, I am also somewhat uh, concerned, considering that my family were devout followers of uh, the god Aroden. And uh, if I've learned nothing else from my excursions thus far, um, including into the, the Bastion of the Last Man, the power of the Church of Aroden and the spells inherent and such have uh, waned since his death. I would not be entirely certain if uh, all the residents within are resting soundly. Well... We will cross that bridge when we come to it, I suppose. Of course, of course. Yes, I suppose that's it. Again, I'm, I'm quite pleased to, to have you here with me, my lady. Um, lady Merla speaks very highly of your uh, your abilities. She would know. Of course. Um, th- thus far, all of your compatriots have been, <laughs> uh, shall we say, uh, equally um, skilled and capable. I have learned many of my skills, considering... I was the lone girl in a group of uh, rowdy boys. <laughs> I'm, I'm certain that that made for an extraordinarily uh, um, interesting season together. It is one I will not forget. I'm surprised I've been able to meet so many, uh, uh, shall we say, esteemed individuals such as yourselves. Uh, I think with the uh, the exception of the uh, uh, the young Lord Kastner that I met, um, I think uh, um, every ally that uh, Marilla has caused, called to her uh, cause has thus far been a member of the Grand Houses. It, uh, I think, was more luck than anything that uh, we, well, that our parents all had children of relatively the same age as the prince. Oh, well, I suppose that it is. Well, again, we should be able to arrive there. Uh, I'm not particularly skilled at navigating the woods, but uh, I will I will do my best. You wander the woods, but not for too exceedingly long. Navigating your way um, as you make your way closer and closer to what you're going to assume is your destination. If you have geography or uh, knowledge history, I'd allow you to roll either of those. I do have knowledge history. Uh, That would be a 16 for a 24. You don't specifically, again, without geography, you don't really know how high Mount Antios is. You know it's one of the tallest mountains in all of Tal'Dor. And of course, all the tallest mountains in Tal'Dor are part of the World's Edge mountain range. I mean, makes sense. You do know that uh, Mount Antios is actually named after Tal'Dor's 10th emperor. Uh, who constructed an enormous burial site known as Antios's Crown, with various uh, statues and such located at the summit of Mount Antios. Um, and so the fact that the Alcasti family chose this place to be their burial grounds doesn't really surprise you, considering that Mount Antios has long been considered to be almost a holy burial site in and of itself, um, dating back the better part of 6,000 years ago. Hmm. Romario Alcasti continues to lead you for some time. Can I get a, like, read on him? Uh, yeah, you can make a sense of motive if you so wish. Nope, nope, I, <laughs> that was a two for a ten. Uh, no, he just <laughs> seems to be a charming, likable guy. I say, you better not stab me in the back, I'm a, I'm a Hescalar, <laughs> I'll stab you right back. Uh, the other things I'll let you know as far as your history is concerned, as the Empire of Tal'Dor began to, shall we say, disintegrate, pretty much with the beginning of the loss of, uh, Chiliax and Andoran and Galt, many Tal'Dain nobles increasingly began to build their tombs in remote locations, almost in a way somewhat similar to the legends that you've heard of the Osirian people. The more remote the location, the less likely it was that grave robbers and vandals would find it. Are we looking for Hamanoptera? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) You also know that uh, to further deter the attention of tomb robbers, most Haldane tombs contain magical curses and powerful guardians. Oh, great. You do know something that may be of use. 
Many of the Taoding people during, especially during the times following the uh, Eventung Rebellion and the beginning of the Grand Campaign, would have magical tomb guardians constructed. Uh, these were oftentimes golems. Mm. However, many of these golems, there was a constant concern about golems, especially because they outsourced the golem construction, about them turning on the family. And as such, many of these golems actually had an innate weakness built into them where they would be harmed by weapons belonging to the noble houses that they guard. Huh. Do you have much skill with that blade? It kind of pauses for a moment. I think the easiest way to say that would be uh, far more than I would wish. Or at the very least, I've had to use it on many more occasions than I would have preferred. Well, if you're going to be living in the Quirus Prefecture, you're going to have to be well-versed in it. Um, I am uncertain how familiar you are with Apara. I lived there for several years. Uh, let me simply leave it at, um, I've had occasion to be on the wrong side of the Narrows, if you understand. I do. Was this a family heirloom, or...? Uh, my rapier? Yes. No, actually, I, I procured it um, only about a year ago or so, after I, shall we say, came into some money. I understand. She tucks that away, hoping that it was a family heirloom, <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> you have a long journey through the foothills of the World's Edge Mountains. The area here is, especially as you get closer to the base of the mountain, almost uncannily desolate. There are still trees. You hear the occasional bird in the distance, but there are none of the other animals that you're used to seeing. No foxes, no deer. It's shockingly quiet. Almost this lonely pall hangs over the last hour or so of your walk. Stay on your guard. Of course. Romario glancing up towards, you guess, the mountain, looking down at a sheet of paper. You think it's almost that classic thing of someone just drew a picture um, judging by the age of this paper, of the tomb's location. And he seems to be trying to line up where the peaks should be to be in the right place to find this tomb. Yeah, I'm not going to be any help with looking at that. <laughs> Unfortunately, no. Eventually, though, as you're making your way along, he lets out a shout, moves with a little bit more haste towards the edge of a cliff wall. And as you approach closer, you can see a white marble tomb entrance in the shadow of the low mountain. Two composite columns frame what looks to be an unblemished white wall of marble, almost as if someone had built a doorway, but then didn't bother to actually carve out the marble to make the door. As you approach closer, you can see that across the front of this is what looks to be a rampant Pegasus. Ah, uh, yes, uh, this would be the Pegasus of House Alcosti. He steps forward procures a vial from inside of his coat. Uh, looking it over, you can tell that it's a good-sized vial, about the size of your fist. Made of green glass, the top of it is a stopper bearing the Eye of Aerodin. And not many people would, of course, have this, but uh, the key hole should reveal itself uh, when uh, blessed by waters, blessed by the priests of Aerodin. Uh, this vial's over a hundred years old, so no more blessings that way. That is specific. Easiest way to keep things safe, and I imagine it was easier to purchase uh, said vials before Aerodin's death. I imagine so. Is it, do you just sprinkle it on, or...? It's said to uh, anoint the head of the Pegasus. So, anoint. He pours the holy water on the door, and then after a moment, almost 
in a strange way, almost as if it's washing off some sort of dirt or grime. As it pours down, the white over the face of the Pegasus bleeds down. There appears to be a keyhole basically right at the head of the Pegasus. He retrieves the key uh, itself with a long kind of curling into it, uh, giving it almost an appearance akin to the horn of a unicorn hmm. before so he inserts a, that. It's an alicorn. And turns. An alicorn, yes. As he turns this, there is a soft grinding sound. He quickly steps back as the, at that point, seemingly perfectly smooth, with the exception of the Pegasus design to the door, splits down the center and then it slides open almost silently to reveal a gaping entrance into a tomb within. I hope you brought the torch. Oh, no, but uh, hums a quick tune to himself before touching the basket of his rapier hilt as it shines to light. That is for you. I don't need it. Oh, well, um, and of course I will be uh, be here right behind you, but um, I suppose if... Uh, I will take lead. Yes, you uh, you appear to be much more capable than I am, so uh, I will I will provide any assistance that I can. While your rapier has seen uh, dangers in Opara, mine has seen it much more often elsewhere. Of course. I suppose I blink a few times to adjust to the lack of light and uh, pitch black my way inside. <laughs> Very well. Turning your attention ahead. You look inside of these open doors to see a short passage that leads to a set of stairs descending into the earth. Again, the place seems to be rather pristine, although you're going to guess not completely um, air and or water tight, as some moss has grown under the door. And you can see some discoloration, um, as you can see a flight of steps descending with relling set along the sides, making its way uh, down into the earth. You make your way forward down into the depths. Um, pulling your weapon? Yeah, to be um, safe. What are you rocking? I am rocking a heavy mace. I have a dagger in my belt as well, but I figure if we're going to be uh, fighting any undead, I need something a little bit heavier. <laughs> Very well. That I suppose your shield. Yes, I uh, I am also rocking a heavy steel shield. The heaviest armored of, uh, of any of our heroes thus far. Well, you know what? I'm partially blind, so I can't always tell when things are sneaking up on me, so better to have the armor and, <laughs> and just be able to take the hit. <laughs> That's fair. You descend down into the tomb. The stairs lead into a chamber, maybe some 20 feet by 20 feet. The floor here is tiled in these beige and then these almost like charcoal black tiles in a checkered pattern across the floor. As you reach this room, you can see in the center of the room is a large granite table or tablet covered with numerous names and dates. Are they carved in? Uh, carved, yes. Oh, okay, so I can actually read them. Uh, beyond this, you can see that there's a wide archway that leads through another 10-foot passage uh, deeper. I figure I'll uh, take a look at this. I, I'm also going to... Um, let's cast a detect magic, too. No, you don't see any magical sources that you didn't bring with you. Looking over the tablet, you can see that there are names here dating back... Um, it looks to be a chronological record of the Alcastes buried within the tomb. Um, many of these seem to have been interred, and then there's a second note in here for disinterment. Uh, this hmm. isn't necessarily an extraordinarily uncommon practice. Um, in essence, the heads of houses, in the case of the Alcastes, probably the counts, would be permanently interred here. Other family members would be interred here for a time, 
until they were completely skeletonized, at which point they would have been probably removed to be put into into an ossuary. Uh, well, I'm going to check and make sure that uh, his ancestor wasn't disinterred. Uh, nope. It looks like the last name carved on here was uh, Countess Onaria Alcasti, uh, 4049 AR through 4123 AR. So it looks like she died uh, just a little bit under 600 years ago. Oh, it looks like we are in the right place. Uh, good. I would uh, hate to think we broke into the wrong tomb. <laughs> Well, if we had, the exit is right behind us. Yes, yes, of course. I don't suppose you have any skills with finding traps? Uh, no, I'm afraid not. Are you at least perceptive? Um, I mean, I would consider myself to be a relatively perceptive man. Well, that is better than nothing. So, uh, I will, uh, I will keep an eye on. So will I, but I can only see so far. So, I mean, I actually have a pretty decent perception considering I am, for all intents and purposes, legally blind. It's true. Alcosti has a five, so. I have an eight. <laughs> He's not uh, very wise. N- nor am I. I just get bonuses for being all dragony. It's fair. So, uh, I suppose I'm going to be careful with my steps as I move further into the tomb. You continue on, passing by this large display beginning to uh, make your way through the 10-foot-wide archway and then through a short hallway into another chamber beyond. The chamber here is about 30 feet from where you stand to the opposite side. Um, You're going to guess about 30 feet wide as well. Off towards your right and left in each of the corners, the four corners of this room, you can see a brazier, although none of these braziers have probably seen fire in the better part of 600 years. In the center of the room... In the center of the room is a fountain with a small pool of uh, not even water at this point. There's so little moisture left in the bottom of the fountain that it is mostly just mold. In the center of the fountain is a tall statue of a soaring pegasus. The pegasus appears to be facing in the direction that you're coming from. Its wings spread wide. It gives a rather odd looming appearance to it. Um, And if you wish, you may make a perception roll. That would be a, a nat one for a nine. Very well. I hope he rolls better. <laughs> what would you like to do? He doesn't notice anything. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, if there's nothing that I notice about this Pegasus. Not immediately. If you want to investigate the Pegasus, you may. That was just a roll when you entered the room. Oh, then yeah, I'd like to take a closer look. Yeah, you may. Go ahead and make me a perception roll. Slightly? That's a five for a 13. Uh, with the 13? Uh, the only thing that you note pertaining towards this is there is an inscription at the base of the statue. The inscription is in Taldane. It's technically in an older form of Taldane, but you can read it relatively easily. Okay. Um, and simply says, uh, honor above all. Uh, there is an inscription. It says, honor above all. But other ah. than that. Uh, the Alcasti uh, family words. Ah. Do you smell that? No. What does he smell like? That's a, like a storm, maybe. This, Like ozone. Yes, uh, this uh, kind of burns the nose. Mm, that is not comforting. I don't think it's a normal tomb smell. I don't particularly spend a lot of time in tombs. I suppose let's press on, but if the smell gets worse, let me know. Before you exit the room, you note two things of curiosity. First off... While there has been some damage, some decay, again, this tomb is 700 years old, older than that. 
in time, earthquakes, this is a mountain range, um, doesn't necessarily treat these types of places exceptionally well. You can tell that the years of water thawing, melting its way between the stones, freezing, thawing, freezing, has caused cracks to appear in the ceiling of this passage. And from these, you can see vines growing down, spidering their way, more, less vines and almost more roots down into this lower chamber. Up ahead, you can see that the hallway that you're looking into is longer than the one that you came from before, which was only about 10 feet long. This one's at least 20 or so before it opens up at an intersection, you think. It's difficult to tell exactly. The second thing that you note is the, the walls here at one point seem to have contained numerous small alcoves or niches. However, those are now empty. The floor here, however, is covered in rubble. The shattered remnants of numerous stone statues. However, as you look down here, between your dark vision as well as the light provided by Romario, you can see that sticking out of the rubbled remains of these are numerous odd bits of metal. In some cases, these are things that look like You've seen them elsewhere, as far as like grandfather clocks and such are concerned, like cogs and gears beneath a stone veneer. However, in places you can tell that the statues themselves have been pierced through with abandoned spears and swords, struck down with abandoned maces or weapons. Are you sure this has been undisturbed? Um, it certainly should have been, but uh, I... I there was only one key, which was the key that was provided by my ancestor's uh, former squire, Lady uh, Tetranella. Uh, then your, uh, your theory that there may be something else walking about may have some credence. It does not bode well, but uh, I suppose we must carry on. Watch your step. I would like to take a closer look and see what these metal bits are. Uh, yeah, you may make me a perception roll. Uh, you may also make a uh, craft clockwork if you have it. <laughs> I do not, but I did roll an 18 for a 26 perception. You note two things. First off, looking over these statues, you think your initial suspicion pertaining towards Tomb Guardians may have been true. Many of these weapons, again, there's a sword here, a spear. You're going to guess these were probably once maybe even ceremonially displayed, judging by the niches that you can see on the walls, and were likely weapons of House Alcosti. Um, as such, many of these bear the um, runes or the markings or the Pegasus hilt design of House Alcosti. And as such, you think someone seems to have used the weapons of Hal House Alcosti to strike down the uh, guardians of this place. Hmm. You can tell whatever was here was made of some form of clockwork construction. Um, again, it looks like basically they someone built a clockwork construct and then surrounded it with stone to probably make it appear like a statue. Looking these over, you do notice distinct features in the shape of the stone. Um, a paw, an ear, a small pack of them, judging by the amount of destroyed stone. Uh, it looks like they used to be in the shape of animals. Maybe a wolf pack? Hmm. I mean, my family, much uh, as much as we carry the Pegasus as the uh, emblem of our house, uh, we are Taldane, so uh, my family were known for their love of uh, wolfhounds. I am partial to them myself. Shall we? Of course. Uh, the second thing that you also note, yeah, there is a faint smell of ozone. I, I think that smell you mentioned is coming from up ahead. Uh, well, um, lead on. I'm, I'm right behind you. Figure she gives him a nod and moves on. Stepping forward, you reach the intersection. 
seeing that the passage continues for another 10 feet or so uh, past this intersection ahead. And judging by the amount of destruction you see, you're fairly certain that whomever was in here previously seems to have cut a, um, in this case, not a bloody swath, but uh, at the very least uh, fought their way straight down this hallway through judging by the amount of detritus that you see, maybe somewhere in the neighborhood of eight of these dog constructs. But there's no rubble to the right or left? No, there doesn't appear to be. You can't see very far down the right-hand passage, although off towards your left, you can see the passage continues for a short distance, again, 10 feet, uh, before exiting into another chamber. And you can just make out the edge of what looks to be... You don't think it's a sarcophagus. You actually think it's a coffin. I think there might be a coffin toward the left. The rubble continues straight on. I can't tell what is to the right. He steps forward, glances down that way. It looks like another chamber. Uh, Yes, and and more coffins down that way. Why would they bury them in coffins? Well, if any of the members were disinterred, I assume uh, coffins make that process a bit faster? Oh, well, likely my uh, ancestor would have been buried with, uh, from what I understand, the greatest honors. Well, it is up to you if you want to go straight or if you would rather we clear the side passages first. I don't usually like to keep enemies at my back. I suppose we could check the sides rather quickly. I'll uh, begin heading down toward the coffins first on the left. Okay. Quickly checking the side passages. Um, it doesn't take you long to get down there and find that each one of these side passages contains four coffins. Assuming that you're not planning on breaking them open or anything like that, no. um, the coffins seem to be simply set off towards the side. Uh, again, when you'd first come down, you had seen um, the labels for the names. Um, each one of these side passages contains another small statue. In both of these cases, the statues appear to be of a pegasus, uh, flanked on either side by two deific figures. Uh, one side is a man bearing the Eye of Aridin on his chest, okay. so you're going to guess Aridin. On the other side is a woman holding an hourglass. So probably for asthma. Well, I don't see any reason to disturb their rest. Let's move on. Ah, I quite well agree. Making your way forward. The passage continues until it opens up into a rather large chamber. From one side to the other, you think this chamber is about 30 feet by 30 feet, as you're coming in in the center of the south wall. A marble dais stands opposite of the doorway, with a long purple cloth across the top of it. Sitting atop this cloth, you can see the shattered remnants of a sword, uh, which have been laid out uh, rather carefully. Did, um, did we just res- find Narsil? Yes. Uh, turns out Josephine was the once and future king. <laughs> Queen. Queen in this case. I mean, uh, my problem is I'm good at armor smithing, not sword smithing. Uh, so I'm going to need Elrond to get his butt up in here. That's true. Two braziers again sit on either side of this dais, although once again, they are cold. The tiles of the floor here are scorched black and smell of this, again, that ozone smell that fills the room here. Um, Scattered about the floor are the remnants, these shattered remains of stone that almost seem to flicker and glow themselves with a pale sickly glow that sputters. This all seems to illuminate the shattered sword that sits on the dais. I mean, are the braziers, is there still like tinder in there? Could I like light them? There is still tinder. However, as you step into the room. Oh gosh, am I about to get struck by lightning? In the chamber's walls, you can see more rows of niches. These, however, are different than the small ones that you'd seen in the previous hallway, which looked to have been a place to display ancestral relics. Each one of these 
a grand total of maybe 10, seem to have been large enough to contain a single statue. However, all but two of these are missing their statues entirely. Instead, your eyes are drawn to, and again, you immediately hear this repetitive grinding sound, this scraping sound of metal on metal. And as you look to the right and left, you can see the two remaining statues are both of hounds, although a fair amount of the stone has been broken off of each one of these, revealing beneath them metal plates of bronze and that grinding sound of clicking gears and cogs as their eyes begin to burn with a soft, pale yellow lambience. Each one of these hounds opens up their jaws simultaneously, sparks wildly flying as electricity streams between their teeth. As they struggle up to their feet, one of them, the front leg, seeming to almost been completely detached. The other one cradling its back leg up like an injured dog as they Aww. launch themselves off from their pedestals into the attack. So I will need initiative from the party. And by that, I mean you. Great. <laughs> My initiative is not great. <laughs> uh, all right, actually, uh, I don't. I don't actually have a great modifier for this, but I did roll an eighteen for a nineteen. All right, cute little sirenscape here. Sirenscape, bad dogs. They're just doing their job. They are just doing their job, killing all humans. <laughs> <laughs> they can't help how they was programmed. All right, so combat begins. Romario Acosti gets first initiative. All right. So he's going to go ahead and start with a five foot step. Put himself back to back with you as he steps in, brings up his rapier. Oh, uh, <laughs> they appear to be still quite active. I would suggest grabbing the sword. The broken one? If it is your family heirloom, it may work to weaken them. Oh, um, oh, all right. Uh, before he does that, however, he did take a five foot step, turns to face the other one. Oh, uh, well, I'm, I'm certain if we work together, um, Alcasti and uh, Escalar, like the knights of old, we will be victorious. And um, by saying that, he will go ahead and uh, kick it in his Inspire Courage, using his Perform Oratory oh, to nice. inspire you. Cool. Uh, so you feel inspired. Plus one. Plus one to hit and damage and save against Fear Effects. That brings us to the Hound. Uh, the first one drops down, moves towards you. Technically, it's exiting the niche, so it's actually moving 10 feet. Uh, as it rushes in for its move action, uh, limping along because it's currently moving quite slow, the Hound lunges to the attack. Come at me, bro. Uh, that is an 18 to hit you flat-footed. <laughs> no, I'm in full plate. <laughs> All right. So again, it charges forward as uh, you bring up your shield. It slams off of your shield, beginning to scabber at you. Uh, again, you feel this uh, almost this pleasant tingle as far as your concern of electricity like run through the shield and up your arm. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't affect me. <laughs> bring us to Countess Josephine Hescalar. I'm going to leave him to use the sword, uh, so I'm going to go ahead and just attack with my heavy mace. So I get a plus one from the inspiration. Very well. Uh, that would be a 15 for a 21. A 21 will strike the hound. Right. Uh, for max damage of 10 points. A solid hit. There's a resounding sound as you crack through the stone and reverberate into the creature. It recoils with the hit, but still stands. You do appear to have damaged it, although I will just say, uh, you'd say about half of the damage was absorbed by the creature. Yeah. Uh, but first blood to the Countess. Take us from there to the other hound, which launches itself forward and dives to the attack against Romario. Oh dear. Hold fast. That is a perfect 20, which will automatically yeah. hit threat. However, a 14 will not confirm. Whew, thank goodness. Still manages to strike Romario for 
three points of regular damage and three points of electricity as he hisses with pain. <clears throat> all right, that's not pleasant. You'll be all right. You'll be all right. Okay. Well, uh, I will trust you. That brings us to Mario, who will go ahead and take, taking your suggestion to heart, he'll take a five foot step to the side. He continues his performance. Uh, he'll drop his rapier. He'll reach over and pick up the sword that does provoke an attack of opportunity since he is picking up a weapon instead of drawing one. Mm. Which the creature will go ahead and take. There's really no way around it right now. Dang it, I wish I had something I could do. That is a perfect 20, which will automatically God hit. Shit! Why are you trying to kill him? Uh, however, that is a 12, which will not confirm. At least they're not confirming, but dang! I was going to say, he's uh, getting quite the beating. Ow, that's uh, five points of regular damage and one point of electricity for six points of damage. Is he looking pretty rough? Ow! Uh, yeah, he's looking pretty rough. Okay. He takes up the blade, although, again, honestly, he's looking pretty rough. He'll go ahead and cast on the defensive. Okay, because I was going to cast on him. If uh, he <laughs> succeeds on casting on the defensive and heals himself. Ooh, heals himself for 10. All right. All right. So not quite back up to full again, but better. So he channels the, uh, the positive healing of the bardic arts into himself, taking us from the bard to the guardian dog continuing to attack the countess. Um, however, that is a nine. I do not believe a nine will hit. No. Uh, that is its only attack. So we'll go from there to Countess Josephine. Josephine will strike again. The uh, 10 for 16. A 16 will strike the hound as you bring your heavy mace back around. Swing it down. Continue to fend this thing off with your plate mail. It's almost full. That is uh, uh, nine points of damage. Another solid hit as you crack into the things. There's a reverberating sound, and again, this, like, sparks go flying in every direction as there's this horrible grinding sound, like gears not quite connecting. The creature stumbles and opens up its mouth in a weird crackling sound that sounds one part thunder and one part growl. Hmm. Uh, the other hound, uh, again, they are unintelligent, but they do have basic programming, follows up with wolf tactics, uh, or pack tactics, as yep. it steps forward into the flank and launches itself at Josephine. That, however, is a natural one, which will miss the Countess. <laughs> that will not get me. His dice are swinging today. Uh, that brings <laughs> us to Romario. We'll go ahead and take a quick step off to the side. Swords may be broken, but that doesn't mean they're any less sharp. It is true, although since it does have the broken condition, it is a minus two to attack. Thrusting with a 19, which will strike his target. There we go. The broken remnants of the sh sword only does a d6 now instead of the d8 it would have done. We'll see if my theory is correct. Uh, however, that is nine points of damage, which all goes Ooh. through as he plunges yes, the blade in. Right. The creature seems to recoil from the hit as Romario smiles. Ha <laughs> have at you. <laughs> uh, the other guardian dog continues to pounce on Josephine. That might do it. That's a 24. Yes, that will hit me. All right. Chomps onto you for that is four points of regular damage and four points of electricity damage. Well, the electricity doesn't do anything to me. Uh, so the teeth do sink in. Again, there's this coursing electricity that seems to have no effect on you. Bring us to Countess Josephine. All right, so I'm going to take a five-foot step into the hallway. Okay. And uh, I guess grab whatever's on the ground that has the crest. I'm assuming you're probably looking for a simple weapon. Yes. You can step back and bounce me a d6. Six. Six. There is a spear, a short spear, uh, with an easy reach. I will grab it. Very well. Um, that will provoke an attack of opportunity, but actually, yeah, because that one's had its turn. So it will take the attack of opportunity as you step back, uh, reach down, grab the spear. I suppose dropping your uh, your heavy mace in the process. Yes. Uh, managing to bring up your shield and parry the creature away, as I do not believe a 14 will hit. 
14 will not hit. You have a standard action remaining. I would like to stab at the hound that is trying to bite Romario and succeeding. Very well. Nine for a 15. A 15 will strike your flanked foe. Oh, I'm doing good on damage, though. That's uh, eight points of damage. Uh, with eight points of damage, that will slay the hound as you slam your spear through its back and the creature crumples. One to go. Uh, that brings us to Romario, who will, I suppose he'll just go ahead and stride forward and try a desperate thrust at this thing. As he rushes in, swings out with the uh, the broken remnants of the sh- of the sword, uh, swinging in with a 19, which will strike his target, uh, cutting in for six points of damage, although the guardian dog continues to fight. Uh, it turns its attention on Romario now. You'd really think that they would recognize me as perhaps, I don't know, their master or something. Is he wearing a crest or anything? Not that you say. How are they supposed to know? You're not wearing anything. No, magic? Uh, nine will not hit Romario as he stumbles <laughs> back out of the way as the creature lunges at him. Countess Esclar. I am going to uh, step forward and strike with the spear. Very well. Uh, say 13 for a 19. A 19 will strike your foe. I'm still doing good on the damage. That's uh, seven points of damage. Uh, your blade whistles around, slams into this one. This one, however, unlike the other one, appears to have been slightly even less stable. As okay. your weapon slams into it, the creature vibrates before exploding um, in a 10-foot radius, this blast of electricity streaming in every direction. Oh, great. Uh, I will need you to make a reflex save. <laughs> Unfortunately, Romario will have to make that as well. Oh, no. <laughs> Rachel's like, hmm, reflex save, save you say. <laughs> 12 for 14. So 14 for you. Romario manages a 13. Both of those are actually saves, as it is a DC 13. You are low level. (laughs) Yeah, I'm also in full play, though, so I was like, oh, man, this is not going to be good. Uh, So that would mean instead of nine points of damage each, each of you take four points of electricity damage as this burst of electricity rolls over you. Yeah, I don't take any damage. Romario is not so lucky. (coughs) Ow. (sighs) After a couple of seconds, you appear to be in the clear. Eh. It probably hurts you far more than it hurt me. <sighs> Let me patch you up. I see the uh, the legends of the, the Heskalars having dragon blood seems to be true. Seems so. I like to think uh, all of my gifts come from the dragons. <sighs> uh, so I'm going to cast a cure light on him. Uh, so he heals up for six points. All right. Yeah, that patches him up pretty well. He's still down by two, but... He lets out a sigh as you lay a hand on him, channeling divine powers, your oracular powers, into him. I'd only heard the, the legends of your family's relation to, uh, was it, the, the dragon princess. That is the legend, but we think it is more fact than legend. Oh, I, I did not mean to uh, um, insult or anything like that. I think my existence already proves the legend's truth, so no offense is taken. That must be nice, then. To have such proof of your uh, noble heritage. and Well, I take it as proof. Others think I am just cursed. Oh, well. It is all a matter of perspective. Well, uh, let me simply say, Lady Hesklar, that your presence here has been a blessing to me. I figure she gives him a nod and I'm going to keep one of these spears for the time being. <laughs> okay. I imagine you retrieve your, uh, your mace. Yes. Well, whoever came before us must have had a bear of a time, though. I think whoever came before was also using an Alcosti weapon. It, uh, if rumors are to be believed, they have a weakness against the familial weapons. Oh, that would 
makes sense to, to keep your, <laughs> pardon the joke, to, to keep your dogs on a short leash. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I say we, uh, we should probably retrieve what we came for. Indeed. He places the, uh, the shattered sword back up onto its pedestal. Perhaps you should grab another weapon from the hallway, just in case we come across more hounds. Ah, yes. He digs around back there, finds a short sword, since there aren't any rapiers available. Uh, all right, then, uh, I suppose you make your way down the stairs. Again, there's just a short flight of stairs on uh, either side of this room before making your way to the only exit from the chamber. Yeah. I don't know if you can see, but there's light in the room up ahead. Uh, not much. It looks like it's the burial chamber. We must be in the right place, then. Quite. Making your way forward. The chamber within is the largest that you've seen thus far. In fact, its size is such that, again, you'd say it's about 40 feet at a side. And again, the same checker pattern to the floor, to the point that the size of this room is almost the same size and pattern for a chessboard. Um, or a game of king, as the uh, the Taldane call it. Three sarcophagi line the wall off towards your left-hand side. Three more line the wall off towards your right-hand side. And directly ahead of you is a single sarcophagus that stands separate from the rest, bearing across its top an intricately carved design of a woman in armor laying in repose, her hands folded across her lap. Romario nods. My ancestor, Anaria, was the last to be buried here, and I understand they did so with honors. That is likely hers. However... Something, a few curious things stand out to you. First off is sitting at the foot of the sarcophagus is a human skull. Okay. This sits on a plate, a literal silver platter in front of the sarcophagus, while next to it lies the mangled remains of another clockwork creature, although this one is much smaller than the dogs that you just faced. An engraved plaque is propped up behind the skull against the base of this sarcophagus. And there's a smell in this room, not that ozone smell before, but the smell of something caustic that causes your eyes to water. Um, your character may not be familiar with it, but it almost smells like an extraordinarily powerful bleach or disinfectant. Oh, I figure carefully, Josephine wants to step forward and see what this plaque says. As you begin to step forward, the small clockwork thing twitches again from one end to the other you'd say it's a little more than maybe a foot in overall length and as the badly damaged creature twitches it raises with this mechanical scraping sound one long wing before the head rotates revealing what appears to be the head of an owl the thing opens its beak help help as it does so its wing begins to almost spasmatically flap and it begins to spew acid, um, almost in a ring around it as it flops around before falling still. Well, it continues to spew this almost caustic cloud of acid that surrounds it. Um, oh, um, I would like to approach it, and if possible, I would like to cast Mending? Yeah, you can approach close to it. I will warn you, if you get any closer to it, you're not going to be able to avoid the acid cloud. Or at the very least, you will have to make a reflex save. I'm going to take that damage to try to help this thing. It's asking for help. Then I will cast uh, Resist Energy on myself for acid. <laughs> okay. And then I you will... Call upon your draconic mysteries. Yes. So I will cast Resist Energy upon myself to 
hopefully bypass the acid damage, and then I'm going to try casting Mending upon this poor little owl. That's going to give you a 10 acid resistance, which is actually higher than the amount of damage this thing can do. Casting this, you step forward uh, again. This thing sprays around. Help, help, as it kind of flops before you can uh, reach down. You have three options, technically four. Okay. You may attempt a disable device check. Okay. You may attempt a craft construct check. No. <laughs> you may attempt a use magic device check. Okay. Or you can see that the source of the acid appears to be a wand inside of it. You can remove that, although you're not sure if you can remove that without getting blasted by acid the entire time. I mean, if the acid's not going to hurt me, I don't think I mind. It may be a more concentrated burst. Okay. Uh, well, then my only option is to yank out the wand. So you reach in a hand, you yank out the wand. Uh, technically, it uses a full powered burst on you at that. Uh, but even that's only six points of damage, so it's just absorbed by your uh, your resistance. Uh, unfortunately, to get the wand out of it, you have to tug with enough force that you actually snap the wand. I don't care. Destroying it. The creature stops its flapping. Hello. Are you all right? The owl head kind of turns to, again, the owl's, it's missing one of its, like, part of the side of its head and one of its wings entirely. Mending doesn't do anything? Um, the only problem is, is uh, since it is a magic item, basically, to repair by this spell, you have to have a caster level equal to or higher than that of the object you're casting it on. Oh, okay. So, no, not yet. Yeah, Maybe unfortunately trying later. it, yeah, it's it's <laughs> too potent. No, I, I I I don't think I'm okay. But but I'm better. And who are you? Amantius. What are you doing down here, Amantius? I came here to help, but I was too late. Help who and why? Italis. Italis. Italis? She was my friend. There's a low, like, grinding sound of gears as the owl looks over at the severed human head, skull sitting at the foot of the sarcophagus. What happened to Italis? The woman came. What woman? Tetranella. Siagra was what Italis called her. Tetranella is the one who hurt your friend. Romario strokes his chin. Tetranella was my ancestor's squire. Yes. Tetranella came, accused Italis of treason, came here after killing her. I followed, but was too late. I wanted... The creature pauses for a long moment. Revenge, but I was too late. Why did Tetranella think that Italis was a traitor? Italis spoke out against Anaria. The last Alcasti, Italis told the crown the things Anaria told her that Alcasti blamed the crown for losing the rebellion. The crown took away everything, Romario says. They took away everything from my family for speaking the truth. Truth, maybe, but what she said was treason. She spoke against the crown and Italis, Italis... Italis told. The crown gave Italis Acosti lands. Yes, the lands of my family. Was Italis's surname Cenebri? Italis Cenebri, Countess. I blamed Anaria. I came here. Tetranella destroyed the others, the dogs, and everything to bring Italis here. The bird looks in the direction of the skull again. 
I tried to attack was, am, its wing twitches, was very stealthy, but Tentronella struck me down and left me as offering to Inara. Hate, 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 but no more. Have had time to think. Misguided. Anaria was Italy's friend. The bird looks back to the skull. Wouldn't have wanted this. You've been down here a long time. Very long. <sighs> so no one has been in here since the attack? No, just me. I see. Sagra Titanella was not an Alcosti. The hounds didn't recognize her. But she was loyal to your ancestor. When Anaria died, in disgrace, being the last to be buried here, she must have gone and killed this Italis, the woman that was raised up to her position, Canopri, the woman that told the Grand Prince her supposedly treasonous words, speaking the truth to power, as it were. It could have been a ruse all along. Uh, perhaps, but then it would seem that her loyal friend and former squire took vengeance for her. Literally brought her her head on a silver platter, it would seem. Well? Although I do, the picture that I have received, from all the other places I've been, the things that I've seen, of Onaria, I believe our small clockwork friend here is correct. She wouldn't have wanted vengeance. She was a, a paladin, a soldier, a righteous warrior in Eridan's cause. That would have been beneath her. He strokes his chin does, however, beg the question of what we do with this information. Italy's deserves to go home. <sighs> Understandable, but if we were to take her, literally her head back, we would need to explain to the Cenabri what happened. That would maybe damage the image of my ancestor. Your ancestor is not the one who took revenge. She cannot be held accountable for a squire's actions after her death. And he froze his brow. Curiously, a portion of that plaque that you had been approaching, that you had not had yet had a chance to read, cracks and falls off, briefly disturbing the silence. I would like to take a closer look. The plaque reads simply, Here lies Anaria Alcosti, betrayed by her inferiors and those she served. We shall remember her deeds and restore her honor. That is what it said before, as you're picking up the broken piece. However, the broken piece simply says, remember her deeds and restore her honor. That seems like a sign. Perhaps it is. What do you wish to do? I suppose it would be best to return her then, even if I am worried about how this may reflect. You could always take Amantius with you. He is a witness to the events. Yes, it, it may be good to have another person to be able to speak on Anaria's behalf. Anaria, Italy's friends. And perhaps be able to explain to the uh, Italy's family the, uh, the circumstances surrounding this event. It is inconvenient, um, but I suppose... I suppose it would be the right thing to do. Then I say gather what evidence you need, then we can make our exit. He nods. With your assistance, you're able to open the sarcophagus. There's loud 
crack sound of the seal breaking before you're able to push it open. Finding resting within the skeletal remains of a woman dead nearly 700 years. A sheath is buried with her, although not a sword. Romario tells you not to worry about that. He knows where the sword is. <laughs> okay. As well as all of her various laurels. These he retrieves, stares down for a long time. Our family is nearly put right now. I will do you proud. I would like to sense motive, just to make sure he's honest about this. You can make a sense motive. That is a 13 for a 21. Yes, you feel like he means this. However, you do feel like he means the first part more than he means the second. Oh. He seems a little bit more interested in the family honor and noble position being restored. Mm. As opposed to whatever doing a paladin proud would be. I suppose you gather these laurels, gather up a Mantius, who, if you place him up, can awkwardly grab onto the uh, the pauldron of your armor and just ride on your shoulder, which you imagine is what he did before, um, even though he only has one working leg. Basically, it seems like whenever he was cut down, it basically cut off his the right side of his body, almost. Yeah, I figure, like, Josephine turns to him and is like, I'm sorry I'm not capable of fixing you, but perhaps we can find someone. Thank you. You are kind, and any improvement is improvement. I just want to see my friend at home and the sky. Well, you will see this guy more than me. You turn. Step back out under the uh, the sky as, again, you kind of look up this uh, this clockwork. Again, it has the little mechanical, like, irises. The iris, like, dilates in joy as it stares up towards the, uh, the bright blue sky overhead. And I suppose we'll pick it up with a conclusion next time. All right. Ba-da-ba-ba, ba-da. Got a little clockwork buddy. Got a little clockwork friend. <laughs> I'm, pro- I'm probably not going to keep him, but I mean, <laughs> if I can fix him, I wouldn't mind having a little little owl buddy. <laughs> he's he's got to go be a witness to a crime first. Yeah. <laughs> Who stands and speaks for the accused? But yeah, well, congratulations. You managed to survive that. I did. Um, having electricity resistance probably helped a little bit. But <laughs> yeah. Go dragon blood. <laughs> little dragon blood line there kind of pays off. And yeah, again, this is the uh, this is part five of the six part. So for everyone that has been enjoying this thus far, tune in next time for the exciting conclusion of Honor's Echo, which will be uh, with everyone back on board. Um, yeah. So that's going to be a, a shocking little uh, turn here as we bring together all five of these, uh, these nascent heroes, these Warriors of the Sovereign Court. Thank you all for tuning in. Um, As we have been doing previously, I will not be doing uh, Patreon shoutouts at the end of this just because there's literally only two of us and that would be like two names. I guess it would have been 10 names across all five of the episodes, which could have kind of added it up. But uh, once we get back to your regularly scheduled programming, um, (laughs) I do, however, want to take an opportunity to say thank you to all of our patrons. Yes. Thank you guys so much. Absolutely. We like being able to do this for all of you. It is true. This is this has been a lot of fun. I've actually really enjoyed kind of uh, getting a chance to explore these characters, this little side story. Romario has been featured in each one of these. So getting to like five different interactions with the same NPC where everyone's like, hmm, who knows? Uh, we'll be interested to see what everyone's feedback is on that. But also, again, it's nice to be able to uh, to deliver this for all of you. Again, since since our Patreon has received so much backing recently and has had this amazing outpouring of support, it has given us the opportunity to kind of experiment around, which is really what this was. Um, experimenting with uh, 
We've done two players and one game master before and three players and one game master before, but we'd never done one player and one game master. Um, so this was kind of a, a neat sort of change of direction. And uh, and also, again, you know, as much fun as uh, as War for the Crown has been and War for the Crown has been a blast. Kind of interesting to just kind of veer away from all the politicking and everything going on in Merritt County to uh, to dip our toes into uh, what was going on in the rest of Taldor. Getting a chance to even see uh, Carreras County, which hasn't been featured in War for the Crown yet. Not yet. Who knows? And eventually there might be some interesting crossover between these stories. So we do have the conclusion to this in the uh, the next chapter of Honor's Echo. And then it will be back to War for the Crown, back to the continued exploits of the Knights of Summer. So again, of course, thank you to all of our patrons. Thank you to all of our listeners. And uh, yeah. until next time, Pathfinders, good luck. Bye, Pathfolk. Hey, nobody died. Nobody died. I was a little worried about Mario for a second there. I was going to say, it's going to make the, the last part of this really weird if he's dead. Yeah, well, I was glad that I got that, that knowledge check on, on knowing about the weapons. I think. Oh, yeah, awful. I think that, that definitely, that was a DC 20 knowledge check. Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. War for the Crown is copyright 2018. War for the Crown and the Pathfinder Venture Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission.